You guys ready to go? I'm excited. Uh, we're in week three, final week of this series that we've been in called Say Less, and really talking about the power of our words, and sometimes you just got to say less. Turn to somebody and tell them, say less. I thought you'd be a little bit more passionate about it. Turn to someone and say it like you mean it. Say less. Say less. Say it. It's fun to say. But we've been um, focusing on the power of our words, and we've talked specifically about critique and kind of the, the trap that a lot of us get in of having a critical spirit. We talked about that the first week, and then last week we talked about gossip and the power of gossip and what happens whenever you uh, participate in talking negatively about somebody behind their back. And some of you have felt the effects of that. You felt the pain of that. But I've been praying for you this week, praying that these two weeks hopefully have been helpful for you. And hopefully um, you'll start to see yourself, like in, in the, really the Spirit of God, catching you whenever you start to kind of participate with criticism or gossip. And you go, well, ah, that's not good. That's not good for me. And so I hope that's the case. But I want to kind of enter into this last uh, part of this series where I want to do something a little bit different. Critique and gossip, those are ways that we participate with our words, oftentimes in, in how it affects other people. You gossip about somebody or you are critical about somebody. And tonight, I want to lean a little bit more into how your words affect you. And specifically, when you begin to or when you begin to embrace a complaining kind of spirit, where um, it seems like just all you tend to do is, is just complain about everything. I don't know if you've ever known that person or if you've experienced that person. And it's like, man, just nothing is good with this person. You, you ever felt that before? Like nothing can be right. There's just constantly something wrong, something going on. And so I want to talk about um, complaining tonight. I know maybe that's not what you were hoping to hear. And you're like, that sounds like something for first graders. But I'm hoping... Um, that it would be helpful for all of us because I think the scriptures have a lot to say about it. Well, we've been focusing on um, a passage in Ephesians. So I want to read it one last time for us and um, we'll get into it. And hey, we don't do this ever. I don't think I've done this since the you know couple weeks that I've been here. But can we all stand? I want us all to stand as we read the word of God tonight. And we don't do this a lot. This is kind of rare. But sometimes I think it's helpful just to kind of shock us back into the reality of the power of what we're about to read. And sometimes if you just posture your body a little bit differently, it'll do that. And so I just want us to, um, to gather around the words of Scripture tonight in Ephesians. Let's pick up in verse 1. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Skip down to verse 29. And do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, Check out these last few verses. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God 
forgave you. Let's pray together. Father, would you take the words out of Scripture and make them come alive tonight? God, would tonight be more than just a few um, helpful points or catchy thoughts? And would it be truth, truth from your word? God, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Hey, let me ask you a question. How many of you, um, how many of you love sleep? Anybody love sleep? <laughs> I love that. Not just a hand raise. You're, you're like, yeah, I love it. Yeah, love sleep. I remember being in college and, I mean, just take a nap after nap. Anybody take a nap this afternoon? You want to just admit it? Yeah, took a nap. Awesome. Good for you. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. I just got to say enjoy it. As a father of two, enjoy sleep now because there may come a day when you have kids. I'm not trying to be that old guy that's like, I remember when, but I kind of remember when, um, when I used to enjoy napping and sleeping and it completely radically changed Whenever I became a father, I remember um, specifically a story with uh, my oldest son, Cade. He's six now, but I remember when he was just first born. I mean, we've been going through kind of the gamut of different sleep patterns that he's been in. And, you know, when they're first born, like zero to six months, they're just all over the place. I mean, you're getting two hours, three hours. I mean, if you get four hours, that's pretty good. Sometimes you can mix together two here, and then they wake up, and then you get another. Two. Like, it's just all over the place, right? I remember that, and it was, it was a nightmare. And then um, I remember, like, from six to 18 months, my son Cade, he, uh, for some reason, was waking up every morning at, like, 5 a.m. 5 a.m., and there was nothing we could do about it. Like, don't give me your parenting advice. I'm telling you, I tried everything. There was nothing we could do about it. We'd put him down later. He'd still wake up at 5 a.m. We would try everything. And I remember, I remember clearly talking to other parents like, oh, that's unfortunate. My son sleeps from 7 p.m. to 9 a.m. Like, oh, that's great. I hate you. Um, I, that was not our case. He would wake up at 5 a.m. And it was, I mean, it was really starting to take a toll on us. We didn't know what to do. And you can imagine waking up this early I mean, it was just really taking a toll on me and my wife. And then somehow, some way, maybe just a miracle, maybe prayer, I don't know. Somehow, some way, at like 18 months, he flipped a switch and he started sleeping in. And we we're like, this is awesome. This is great. But I remember very specifically this one day, he slept in until like 8 o'clock in the morning. And I remember I got him ready for school. I was taking him to the little place that he was going. I was on, his way there, on our way there. I called my wife and I'm like, you won't believe what happened. Kate slept in until 8 o'clock. Now we're hitting traffic. Now we're late. I'm going to be late for my meeting at work, all this kind of stuff. And, and I was just, I was upset. I was angry. And, and I just remember very kindly here going, you realize that you're complaining about the very opposite thing that we were complaining about like a few months ago. Like the very thing that we were praying that God would do, we're now complaining about. You ever complained about an answered prayer? That was what we had gotten caught up in. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I am stuck in a rut of just going from one thing that I complain about to another thing that I complain about. And I spent a year and a half complaining that he was waking up too early, and now I'm complaining that he's sleeping in too late. Do I have a problem? Probably. But it reminded me of the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament specifically. I don't know if uh, you're familiar with the story of the Israelites, but these are God's chosen people. You find them um, all throughout the Old Testament, really starting in Exodus, the story of them exiting out of Egypt and into the promised land. 
But these are God's chosen people, but they were in captivity as slaves for hundreds of years, right? Hundreds of years, and throughout that, they are constantly complaining. Now, I don't know about you, but I give them a little bit of a pass for complaining for being a slave to a tyrant, okay? I give them a pass on that. But then what's remarkable is God shows up in an incredible way, he does some incredible miracles, and he sets them free. So he issues ten different plagues, miraculous plagues that turn the heart of Pharaoh. He parts the Red Sea. He drowns Pharaoh's army. And then while they're wandering, he feeds them with bread. Listen, bread from heaven? That's how they get fed? That's amazing. I love that. He provides water from rocks? That's pretty cool. He sustains them in every way that they need to be sustained. But guess what God's people do? They end up complaining. It's like God delivers them. He sets them free, and they go right back into this like mode of complaining. I want to read to you in Numbers chapter 11. It's in the Old Testament, but there's this account of what God's people do. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 says this. One day some worthless foreigners among the Israelites became greedy for food, and even the Israelites themselves began moaning. We don't have any meat. God's giving you bread from heaven, dude. We don't have any meat. In Egypt, we could eat all the fish we wanted, and there were cucumbers and melons and onions and garlic, but we're starving out here. You notice that? They quickly forgot that they were slaves. But hey, they had melons. Guess it was all good. They're, we're starving out here, and the only food we have is this manna. This manna was like small whitish seeds and tasted like something baked with sweet olive oil. It appeared at night with the dew. In the morning, the people would collect the manna, grind or crush it into flour, then boil it and make it into thin wafers. The Israelites stood around their tents, what? Complaining is what the Bible says. They stood around their tents complaining. Now, I hear that and I go, come on. You guys just got delivered from being a slave in Egypt. God's providing manna from heaven, water from rock, and you're still complaining. What a bunch of idiots. Sorry, that's critical. I shouldn't say that. But like the Israelites... You and I sometimes just can't seem to get our eyes off of our lack, off of the problem right in front of us, the things that seem to get in our way, and we can fall into a rut of just chronic complaining. And I think what God wants to do is to whisper to us tonight that your complaining words are impacting you more than you know it. They're impacting you more than you know it. So I just want to give three problems tonight, three problems with complaining that may be helpful for you. Um, so if you're taking notes, we'd love for you to write it down. But before I get into those, let me just give a quick caveat because I think it is necessary. And that is, I want to say this, there is a healthy version of complaining. There is a healthy version of complaining. In fact, as I was reading and studying, I was reading this article by psychologists and they, and they described this term as instrumental complaint. But this complaint is driven by the desire to solve a problem and the action to do so. So just because you notice something wrong and you want to say, hey, I see this, this isn't right, and I want to be a part of a solution here, that's okay. There is a healthy way to complain. What I want to lean a little bit more into tonight 
is a chronic complaining. That's different than, you know, someone who just never seems to be satisfied. That's a chronic complainer. You know, the, the customer service is never good enough. The coffee just never tastes right. The temperature of the room is always off. The preacher never says what I want him to say. Just a chronic complainer. I want to lean a little bit into that tonight. So three problems with complaining. Three problems with complaining. Number one is this. Complaining produces poor expectations. Complaining produces poor expectations. There's a doctor by the name of Dr. Travis Bradbury. You don't need to remember that, but he wrote a great book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. And he's done a lot of research on the idea of complaining. What he says is that repeated complaining hardwires the brain to do what? Guess what? Continue complaining. Turns out the more that you complain, the more likely you're going to notice things that are worth complaining about. So he and others talk about what it means just to have this kind of negative mindset that before long we enter into what they call confirmation bias. In other words, you expect something to be bad, therefore you get what you expect. And it's kind of this endless cycle of expectation leads to experience. What you expect, you typically experience. Not all the time, but a lot of times that's true. What you expect, you typically experience. So some of you are going throughout your day, and it's a terrible day, and things are not going right. And I just want to challenge you to maybe look at the very beginning of your day and ask yourself, what are my expectations as I go into this? Do I wake up with expectation that God is going to be active in my life today? And maybe he wants to reveal himself to me in a way I've never seen him before. Maybe he wants to move. Maybe he wants to give me a divine encounter or a divine interaction with someone. Or maybe he wants to set something up like that that I'm not even expecting. Maybe he wants to do that. Or are you waking up and the first thing you're thinking about for your day is how terrible it's going to be. Because I can relate to that. There was a few weeks ago, I remember, um, I remember we were about to go into the weekend, and we had just a bunch of things planned, and it was a hectic week, and, and we had a lot of things going on. I remember talking to my wife, and I remember saying to her, this weekend's going to suck. <laughs> like, it's just going to suck, but I, I think if we just get through it, we'll be okay. I just kind of, I just said, I'm just going to embrace the suck. That's a great motto to have, isn't it? Just embrace the suck. And guess what happened? It was a terrible weekend. <laughs> That's what happened. It was a terrible weekend. And as I was thinking through this and I was, you know, praying about tonight and writing some of this stuff down, I thought back to that weekend because I remember telling my wife, this is going to be a terrible weekend. And I couldn't help but think today going, I wonder what would have happened if I would have walked into that with a little bit of a different expectation. An expectation of like, Man, this is going to be a tough weekend. But God, would you would you show me yourself somehow, some way? God, would you do something in me that I'm not expecting? God, I know that you're active. I know that you're moving. Would you maybe do something? Would you show me something? I can't help but wonder if I would have changed my expectation, if what I would have experienced would have been different. See, you can never go wrong. Listen. You can never go wrong setting your expectation that God is going to be active and working in ways that you cannot see. 
That's the expectation. God, you are going to be active and you are going to work in ways that I cannot see. That's my expectation. The problem is, is that complaining puts a focus on what is rather than what could be. When you are just kind of engulfed into this mindset of complaint, it puts a focus on what is, what is right in front of you, rather than what could be. And the scripture teaches us that we are to live by faith, not by sight. You familiar with that? To live by faith, not by sight. So faith is what I have when I believe and hope for the unseen. God, I'm not sure how good can come from this situation that I'm in. I don't know how you can do that, but I believe that you can do it. I have faith that you can bring some sort of good out of this problem that I'm in or this situation or circumstance that I'm in. I have faith that you can do that. God, I'm not sure how you can take someone like me from a rough background or a divorced family or whatever it is and allow me to have a different future, but I have faith that you can do it. I can't see it, but I'm not living by sight. I'm walking by faith. So if we're to walk by faith and not by sight, then we are to walk going, God, I have expectation that you are active and you are doing what I cannot see. And I'm trusting you to do that. It's those I'm not sure, but I have faith kind of statements. See, sight shows me what is, but faith shows me what could be. So don't let complaining choke out your faith. Because complaining will cause you to focus only on what is rather than what God may want to do and what could be. Your expectation affects your experience. Now, I'm not saying, please hear me, I'm not saying, uh, you know, this, you, know, you manifest your future or whatever. Like you just speak it into an existence and it happens. I believe my expectation is I'm going to get a raise tomorrow and, and it's going to happen. I don't know what that googly gaga is all about. I'm not saying that. I'm saying your expectation is God. I believe you're active and I believe you're moving. Anything's possible with you. That's my expectation. There's a difference. See, see what happens when somebody walks into the room. I've, I've found that there's a difference. When someone walks into the room of church tonight with an expectation, God. I believe that you're powerful. I believe that you could show up tonight. I believe that you could speak to me. I believe that you could change somebody's life. I believe that you could speak to the person to my right, to my left. I believe, God, that that could happen when I walk through the doors tonight. I believe that. That's a different expectation than the person who has no expectation when they walk in. And I'm not saying that God can't show up. God can show up to whoever he wants to, whether you are expecting him to or not. He'll do what he wants. But there's something about somebody who says, I'm expecting it, Lord. I'm expecting it. Because your expectation affects your experience. So, what are you expecting? What are you expecting? Number two, about complaining. Complaining produces complacency. You need to know this tonight. Complaining produces complacency. I can't help but think about Paul. In the Bible, we've been reading his, his letter to the Ephesians. The top thing on Paul's bucket list, and it was really more than a bucket list, but it was what he felt called to do. The number one desire of Paul's heart was to go to Rome as a preacher. That's what he wanted to do, to go to Rome to communicate the gospel. He knew if he could go to Rome and reach the leaders in Rome, 
that he could have a chance of impacting the entire world. So that's what he wanted to do. At the top of his list of things he wanted to accomplish in his life. But what happens? Instead, he was arrested and he was sent to Rome as a prisoner. So think about that. The dream is a preacher and the reality is a prisoner. He gets a whole lot different than what he was dreaming for, but something different happens. And Paul was set on a course to not complain. I want to read in uh, Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. So just a couple pages over, one book over. We can read about the life of Paul here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 is where I'll pick up. It says this. This is Paul writing. He says, do everything without grumbling. That means complaining. Without complaining or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So did you, did you hear the first part? Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. That is a very high standard. Whatever you do, wherever you are, whatever deed or word that you say, do everything without grumbling or complaining. You see, when I complain, I am tempted to believe that I'm solving an issue, but I'm actually not. I'm just talking about it. I'm not really doing anything. And over time, what that does is it builds a complacency in me because I'll start to think that just talking is good enough. And so what I do is I just sit and I just talk. I just complain. I just yap. And there's something about someone who is inclined away from complaining and toward action that causes them, according to Paul, to shine like stars in the sky. You hear that? Let me just stop right there. Sometimes we overcomplicate evangelism. I mean, evangelism is a great thing, and I hope that each of you have a chance to share your faith, share the gospel, share the story of Jesus with somebody. But sometimes we think it's this really like, i got to have all of my theological things figured out, and I need to be able to clearly and articulately pontificate and all that kind of stuff. Hey, According to Paul, it says that you will shine like stars in the sky if you don't complain. If you, if you don't complain or argue, you will shine like stars in the sky. Can I, can I just encourage you? It may be a little bit more simpler than you're thinking. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, there is a place for, for us to share our faith and to know what we're talking about and, and to kind of be able to talk about those kinds of things. There, there is a place for that. But I'm saying... Paul says you can have an impact if you just won't complain. And if that's true thousands of years ago, I think it's really even more true in 2022, don't you? And so don't overcomplicate the impact you could have on somebody's life. Even if you just said, hey, I'm going to make an effort to not complain. There's something about someone who's inclined away from complaining and toward action that causes them to shine like stars in the sky. For Paul, complaining just kind of digs him into a hole, and he's like, I, 
I don't have time for this. I can't be complacent. I got people to share the gospel with. I got work to do. I can't be complacent here. I can't just wallow in my situation because I still have a faith that God is going to use exactly where he has me for a purpose. So what does the verse in verse 15 say? You will shine like stars in the sky. So you could shine like a star in the sky. Refusing to complain will set you apart. It will set you apart. If you're looking to get promoted at work, try to stop complaining. (laughs) If you're looking to have an impact on social justice issues in the world, stop just complaining and look for ways to make a difference toward action. If you're looking to have an impact on the kingdom of God, try stop complaining about every little thing the church is doing wrong and get in the game and start helping. Move toward action. Move toward action. We need leaders, not complainers. Number three, complaining produces me-centeredness. You need to know this is a problem with complaining is that it produces me-centeredness. The rest of this chapter in Philippians chapter 2, the couple verses down, I'll keep reading. Then you will shine among them like stars in the skies. You hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Verse 17. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith... I am glad and rejoice with all of you, and so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. What in the world is Paul talking about? Being poured out like a drink offering. Well, glad you asked. Let me tell you. There's this one Greek word, and I know you care a lot about Greek, so let me tell you a little bit. There's this one Greek word that's translated into that, that whole little phrase. It's this word, spindo. Turn to somebody and say spindo, not speedo, spindo. Spindo, nice. It literally means this. It means to spend it all. Spindo means spend it all. And it's a very powerful little word that his entire audience would have understood because what the priests would do in the Old Testament is they would make a sacrifice to God. So a lot of times they would prepare a sacrifice. It was an animal that they would sacrifice. Thank God that we are not doing that tonight. You didn't come to a worship service where we were sacrificing animals, right? It's a little weird. But back then, that's, that's what they do, a lamb or some type of animal, and they would put it on a burnt offering. And then they would take a drink offering, which was oftentimes like the finest kind of liquid they could find. So oftentimes it was a, a nice wine or even honey because honey was hard to come by and it was expensive. So they would take a drink offering and they would pour it out over the burnt offering. And that would produce a lot of times smoke, flame, whatever, and it would provide this like incense that they said was rising to heaven, was rising to God. It was a, a pleasing offering to God. And so Paul says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, Yet I will rejoice. Now, a lot of people think that when he said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, what he's referring to is that one day he would be executed. I don't know if you know this about Paul, but he, he would go into prison for having his faith in Jesus, and then he would be beheaded for that. And a lot of people think that's what he's talking about, but I firmly believe that that is not what's happening here because the verb 
you came to grammar class tonight, the verb is a passive present tense verb that he says. He says, even if I am being poured out, not even if one day I am poured out, but even if I am being poured out. In other words, right now, my life is being poured out. The situation that I'm in, the circumstances that I'm walking through is not what I want. The suffering that I'm in, if I am being poured out, but it is bringing worship and glory to God, then so be it. I rejoice in it. Even if my life is being poured out like a drink offering, then I rejoice in that. How could Paul be in prison, chained to a Roman soldier, and offer praise and worship to God? Let me tell you how you could do it. Paul knew he was not the center of the story. Paul wasn't the center of his own story. Jesus was the center of Paul's story. And because Jesus was the center of his story, he could trust that God was working in the midst of everything. Even in the middle of this thing that I don't want to walk through, even in the middle of this thing that I don't like, even in the middle of this thing that I probably could be complaining about, instead I'm choosing to go, God, I trust you. Pour my life out like a drink offering. I'll worship you in the middle of it. Earlier in the book of Philippians, he says this in the writing. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, him being put in jail, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So he's not complaining. He's just changed his perspective. And he sees the power and the goodness of God in his situation. What's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, he says this, as a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard what the gospel is. All these Roman soldiers, all these people are now getting a chance to hear the gospel because I'm in here. So how did Paul not fall into a complaining spirit? Because Paul wasn't at the center of his story. He said, it's bigger than me. This is bigger than just me and what I'm walking through. God's got something going on here. He's working in ways that I cannot see. I'll trust him right in the middle of all of this mess. He's doing something. He's turning good for it. All these soldiers, everyone else is getting to hear the gospel. They know I'm in chains for Christ. They know I'd give up my life for Jesus. He's saying, you think, you think I'm a prisoner here. Let me tell you who the real prisoner is. It's the person who has to listen to me share the gospel with them eight hours a day. Every, every, every day, a new Roman soldier gets chained to me. And guess what? They get to hear the gospel. This is working out for good, guys. That's what he said. Don't worry, guys. This is advancing the gospel. This is a good thing. You think I'm the prisoner here? No, 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 no. You have no idea. No idea how God is using what others would see to be a negative situation to actually advance the gospel. They thought they were putting me in a prison, but they're just giving me a place to preach. See, I wonder how many times the thing that we're complaining about, the situation that we're walking through, the thing that you wish you weren't in right now, is actually God just setting you up 
as a place to preach. Just a new opportunity. Not what you want, that's okay. You can be honest about it. This isn't what I want. But you know what? While I'm here, I'm going to make the most out of it. God's got me here for a reason. My expectation is that he's always active. He's always moving. He's always got a plan. I trust him in it. Pour me out like a drink offering. You see, what I've learned is it's hard to complain when you constantly are just asking the question, I wonder what God's doing here. I think if we would just embrace that question a lot more in life, I wonder what God's doing. I wonder what he's up to. I wonder what he's trying to teach me. I wonder how he could use this. See, perhaps God is up to something bigger than you think he is. And perhaps he actually has a plan and a purpose. It may not be what you've chosen. It's okay to not want to be in prison. I'm sure Paul didn't want to be. You may not want to be at school. You may not want to be at your job. You may not want to be walking through the difficulty that you're in. I don't mean to belittle it or say that it's just as easy as don't complain. I don't know how difficult it is. What I'm trying to encourage you with is you can invite God into it. Say, God, I choose to trust you. I choose to trust you. You're active. You're working. So instead of just kind of walking by what I see, I'm going to choose to walk by faith and raise my expectation that you can do something beyond what I can see. I don't want to pretend like what you're walking through isn't heavy or challenging or difficult. I'm sure it is. I've walked through some of that stuff myself. But I know for certain, I know for certain that the moments when I lift my eyes and see a bigger picture of what God may be wanting to do are the moments when I get a bigger picture of what life is all about. It's not just about me. It's about me being poured out as a drink offering, bringing worship to God. So I just want to close with a scripture. I did this last week as well in the book of Psalms. And I was thinking about this one as well in Psalm chapter 121. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And I was thinking about that, and I wanted to share that with you to say, lift up your eyes. Maybe you can get your eyes off of whatever it is that's kind of circling around you that you kind of have a tendency to complain about. Maybe God would just have you to lift up your eyes to where your help comes from. And when you get your eyes on the maker of heaven and earth, everything starts to come into perspective a little bit more. God, maker of heaven and earth, my life is yours. I can trust you with it. I can trust what you're doing. You're good. I know you're good. And I trust you with it. And as we do that, I believe that he'll, he'll change a complaining spirit to a trusting spirit. God, I trust you. I trust you. I wonder what God's doing here. I wonder what he's doing. He must have me in this for a purpose. 
Let me pray for you. So God, I thank you that you are um, big enough, sovereign enough, to know the very intricate details of every person's story in this room. And God, for the little things that we complain about that just aren't worth it, God, would you rewire our brains so that we can begin to expect something different and begin to experience a life where you are constantly active and moving. But God, for the bigger things, for the big circumstance, for the heavy difficulty that someone in this room is walking through. God, I pray that you would lead them, lead them to a place where they can trust you, where they can say, God, instead of complaining, I'm going to get my eyes off of this and get my eyes off of myself and start asking, God, show me how you're in this, show me how you're moving in this, and redirect my attention so that I myself could be like a drink offering poured out for you. So God, won't you do that in us? We pray in Jesus' name.